Good evening, church. I hope you have a copy of God's Word with you. If you do, I'd like to invite you to open with me to the book of 2 Peter. Surprise. 2 Peter. We were slotted to sort through 1 Samuel 24 tonight, uh, but we are going to save that for Sunday morning. So I will be preaching 1 Samuel 24 on Sunday morning. So I invite you to go ahead and start praying for, for us as we look at that on Sunday. But tonight we're going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Last week, I gave you a rather personal glance of how I have been using Psalm chapter 57, uh, particularly last week, to, to deal with my problems, to process some of my problems. And then on Sunday night, we had the chance to talk together about the importance of change, how God has called us. If you are called, he's going to change you. He's going to conform you into his image. And we talked about that on Sunday. And, and beginning this Sunday night, I'm going to be uh, teaching a study on how to change your thinking. How to think biblically. The Bible says so much about thinking. And so we're going to spend a number of weeks thinking about thinking, particularly how can we control it. The Bible says particularly, you're supposed to think certain things, and sometimes you're not supposed to think certain things. So what do you do when you got it all backwards? Because that, that happens. That's called sin. So join us on Sunday nights. But uh, So after looking at Psalm 57 and after talking about the importance of change, and also just because of the common experience that we all share that our lives are just hard. They can be really overwhelming sometimes. I felt inclined to share with you tonight from 2 Peter chapter 1, just two verses. Of course, I initially intended to do verses 3 through 11, and that wasn't going to work. So we're going to do verses 3 and 4 together tonight. This has been a favorite passage in our home for years. It's often quoted. It's often discussed, particularly when things are hard. And it's incredibly dense and is packed with life-giving truth. Let me just go ahead and read it for us right now. And we will open in a word of prayer. Here's God's word. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is God's word, church. Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Father, we know that we have power because we have your word. And so, Father, I pray that as it goes out tonight, that it would not return void. Let it have your intended effect on our hearts. But, Father, I pray specifically as I've been praying all day, would you give hope to your people tonight? 
I pray that we would grow in our love for you, that you would give us a new sense of excitement and a new sense of joy about who you are and what you're like, that we would begin to see in some measure that you are actually glorious and attractive and desirous. And Father, let that help us as we respond to you. So Father, I pray tonight that you would use the words of a, of a weak man, that you would enable me by your spirit. So Father, let my words fall to the ground. They can blow away like leaves. Just let your word remain. No one needs to hear from me. And let it bear fruit in our lives, we pray. I ask this in your name. Amen. I don't know about you, but for me, there is very little that is as frustrating as being asked or expected to do something and not having the resources to do that, right? Have you ever been in like a, guys or gals, I guess, have you ever been in like a project at the house and you realize this is taking a lot longer than it should have? Please don't, don't, no comments, babe. Uh, This is taking longer than it should have and you realize you don't have the right tool, right? You're like beating your head against the wall. I remember a time back in my, um, where I used to work, I used to work with medical software and it was really, really complicated software. It'd take years to learn how it works and and I'd been at it for a couple years and I'd been asked to solve a complicated software problem and I just couldn't figure it out. And it was supposed to only take me a couple hours and I'd spent a day and a half on it and I was like trying to be resourceful. I was trying to, you know, not bug my boss, but I just wasn't making progress and I was asking questions and I was trying to apply the answers, but eventually I had to go and I had to tell my supervisor, look, I, I just, I can't fix this problem. And so he was like rolling his eyes and he, he came and looked at my computer. He was, oh, I forgot to give you permissions to look at. So like I, I couldn't even see the, 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 I didn't even have the power to fix what I'd been asked to fix, right? He'd forgotten to give me access. It's like asking, it's like if you're a carpet cleaner and someone asks you to come clean their carpets, but they don't like give you the keys to the house. Now you can't even get in. Well, the Christian life can sometimes feel like that. Our problems can be so bewildering, and God's standard for holiness is so high. Y'all, I hope you feel the weight of that. I hope when you read the scriptures, you're not like, man, I'm doing great, right? Because I don't know what you're reading, but I read the Bible and I'm like, God's, God's standard for holiness is... It is so incredibly high. It is so seemingly far out of reach. It can just feel impossible. I mean, do you ever get that feeling? Guys, let me talk to guys for just a minute. You know the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives. How? I mean, I cannot imagine a high, as Christ loved, he died for the church. While he was being mistreated. I'm tempted to get that feeling, right? I just can't do that. Or what about in Mark chapter 12? You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. And that's not enough. Because you also got to love him with all your soul. And with all your mind. And with all your strength. And if that didn't wear you out, the second is like it. You got to love your neighbor as yourself. So we can either like, you know, have our heads in the sand and pretend that we're doing that. Or we can say, that is just, how, I'm tempted to get that feeling. Like, I just don't have the resources to do that. 
I mean, I don't doubt that I should be able, that I should do that. And I don't doubt that God is wise and just for demanding that I do that. I just doubt that I can do that. Because I've lived with me for a long time and there's some problems there, right? It's like I've been called to clean the carpets, but I can't even get in the door. So I'm like sticking the carpet cleaner through the window or under the door or something. It's just, it's not, it's not working well. Well, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, that feeling is misleading. And it is untrue. It is an untrue feeling or it is an untrue thought. So we got to change our thinking because our thinking affects how we live. The main idea that I would like to suggest to you this evening from this precious text is that because God is good and because he is powerful and because he has a plan for us, he has given us every single resource that we need to live godly lives, no matter what your situation is. Let me see if I can say that in fewer words. Because God is good, he has given you and me, if you're a believer, every resource that you need to live a godly life. No matter who you're married to, no matter what your health is, no matter how much money you do or do not have, no matter how much debt you have, and no matter how crazy your kids are. God has given you all of the resources that you need to honor him in your circumstances. So let's see if we can sort that out from this text tonight. I have five points that I think will help us see what this passage contains. Now this is not Samuel. This is not a big story with like exciting caves and killing people and giants. This is Peter. And Peter writes in dense, thick, logical prose. So we got to shift gears a little bit and try to unpack some of this together. Point number one. God has supplied us with every resource necessary for godly living. It's right there in the text, isn't it? God has supplied you, believer, with every resource that you need for godly living. This is clearly stated in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God used his power to make this happen. His power, which is not like the power on your cell phone, and it's not like your physical power, and it's not like the power of the United States military. This is God's power. Inexhaustible. Immeasurable. He has employed that to give us everything that we need to live lives of godliness. So he's not struggling to do this. He's very effective in giving us this help. The SV translates it, he says, all things that pertain to life and godliness. I think that, that phrase, life, that's, that's referring to living the Christian life. All that you need to live the Christian life effectively, to walk with God, to live godly. If you need something to be godly in your situation, it's available to you. I don't know if this is in the Hunger Games or where it is, but I've seen, you you might have to help me with this, but you can imagine it, even if you don't know what the Hunger Games are. They make me hungry. I'm hungry now. But it's like the picture of these contestants walking into a room that has every imaginable weapon, and they're allowed to pick the weapon of their choice for whatever skill they have. I don't know if that's in the Hunger Games, but you you get the idea. Imagine, there's probably a room like this somewhere on a military base. All the different weapons, and you can like go in and pick... I don't know. You get the idea. But all you have to do is pick it up and use it. 
Well, that's what we have going on here. That word life, it's not referring to your physical life. It's not like God, God is not in this passage promising to give you every financial thing that you think you need. It's talking about your Christian life. Everything you need for your walk. Everything that you need for your journey to the celestial city has been provided for you. Now that's a pretty extravagant promise, isn't it? That's one of those promises that when you read, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, every promise. But then as soon as you have a problem, it's gone, right? That promise is gone. It may seem easy to believe here in church, but, but think about the last temptation that you had. I mean like the big one. The last, think about one of the worst problems you've had this week. Or the last time that you really blew it. Did you know that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that in that moment, you had all of the resources that you needed to act just like Jesus would have? I'm thinking about some situations in my life, I'm like, oh man, I need faith to believe this promise because it felt hard, right? Do you feel that? Well, that's what Peter is saying. He's not applying simply this promise to hard times or to the good times, but to all of life. Which means, dear Christian, you will not face any temptation or any circumstance or any relational problem that you do not have the resources you need to honor God. You will always have available to you those spiritual resources. Let's take that even further. God will never call you to love someone and then not give you the resources to love them. Now, let's just be honest. There's some people out there, not in here, out there, somewhere else, that are hard to love. Right? There's some people in your life that you're just thinking, like, I kind of love them, but I wish I didn't see them quite so much, right? There are no relationships in your life that God has not made available to you. All the resources you need. There's no one that... If you're a believer, that you cannot forgive. There's no one that you cannot be patient with. Do you really mean that I have every resource that I need to never sin? Yes. That's what Second Peter says. More specifically, this means that you and I will never be restricted in our access to get the knowledge that we need, or the wisdom that we need, or the power that we need to act godly in any given situation. I should be honest, even as I'm saying it right now, this sounds almost too incredible, you know? Almost too incredible to say, but it's what the Bible says. So we need our minds to submit to it and submit to the Lord. Now let me be clear. You and I may not choose to take advantage of those, situ- of those resources. Let me be more frank. We often do not take advantage of those resources. Or you may fail to think that they're adequate in that moment, or you may fail to remember them, or you may struggle to know how to access them, but they are sufficient because they are from his divine power, right? When Haley and I went on our honeymoon, we did one of those all-inclusive things, right? We booked knowing that it's all-inclusive. So, we, everywhere we travel, we travel with groceries, 
All right, anybody do that? If we go on a day trip, my wife brings the whole pantry. We are never, we are never hungry, right? She takes care of us, right? And so, so we didn't have to take any groceries on our honeymoon. It was, it was all inclusive. You know what that means? I remember getting there, and there was like the room service menu. And all inclusive means it was included. So I was like, I'm not even hungry, but I'm ordering that and that, right? And I'm just like calling them and it's just bringing all this food. I'm like, I couldn't even eat it, but I was going to order it, right? Because I had access. Now, you see, my, my understanding on the other hand, though, is that there's, there's some situations like in the military that are also all-inclusive. It's very different, right? I haven't been in the military. But, for example... When the 2nd Marine Division was sent to Guadalcanal in 1942, that was also an all-inclusive sort of deal. <laughs> the, Marines would, the Marine Corps would supply all that the Marines needed for life. Their clothes, their weapons, their food, right? water, medical supplies, shelter, right? They didn't need to supply. They didn't, they didn't need to supply their own things. They, it was an all-inclusive deal. They they were promised that they would have everything that they would need. Right? It was all-inclusive. But my goodness, those are very different all-inclusives, aren't they? God has promised to provide all that we need to live a godly life, and I'm thankful that He can deliver better even than the Marine Corps, and even better than Secrets Capri Resort, south of Cancun. But that does not mean that God is going to meet your specific expectations. You may be expecting room service when all you get is beans and rice in a can. But it will be sufficient. But the key is, and where the battle for faith begins, is that you will have all that you need. Point number one. But there's a second thing we can notice from this text. And this is where this is going to start turning more practical. These resources are delivered through the knowledge of God. Do you see that? These incredible spiritual resources, as abundant as they are, have a very specific delivery mechanism. If you are a diabetic and need insulin, I cannot take a glucose pill and throw it at you. That would not be helpful, right? It's got to be delivered in a specific way. And that's what it says about this resource. You see that right there again in verse 3. Through the knowledge of him. They come, these, this help comes through the knowledge of him. They're not delivered. This help is not delivered by waiters. It's not dropped out of helicopters. And they're not, it's not laying on the ground for you to trip over. They come, this help comes for you by knowing God. Through the knowledge of God. Which means that without knowledge, you don't get the resources. If the, if the help comes through knowledge, and you don't have knowledge of God, you don't get the help. Do you see? Well, what's, what does Peter mean? What's it mean by the knowledge of God? The knowledge of him? Well, simply put, in order to be properly supplied for the, for the life of godliness, you have to know God. Well, that entails a couple things. Here's, I, I, I thought of three. Number one, to know God, you have to be a believer. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not just talking about a professing believer. If you have not turned to him by faith and repented of your sins and chosen to follow him with your life, you will not find divine help for your problems. 
People come to me all the time and they're looking for help for their problems. And if they're not Christians, I have to tell them, brother, friend, there's no help. You you need Christ. You don't need, you don't just need some wisdom. You need the living word of God inside of you or you cannot change. I can't help you. You need Jesus, right? Right? So you cannot get this help unless you are united to God in Christ. None of these resources are available for those who are not saved. They are only for those who know, know God. Think When the Bible is talking about knowledge, it's a lot of different ways. But think about it like this. No one can get to the Father, what? Except through Christ. So you have to be united to God in Christ. A second thing that is meant by the knowledge of God is you must gain knowledge of his ways. You must gain knowledge of his ways. You must come to know his character. Especially as this verse says about him. Do you notice these descriptors here? Sometimes it seems like when you're reading the epistles, like they just get excited about their adverbs and their adjectives, right? It's just like, man, make it short and simple. No, they can't because God is really big, right? You got to see this is through his glory and through his excellence. That's the purity of his character, right? We must be a people who devote ourselves to the study of God. You need knowledge of his attributes, Do you know why you feel helpless in your situation? You don't know his power. You haven't meditated long enough on the fact that he speaks, water parts, people go through dry land. (laughs) You haven't meditated on that enough. You might know about that historical fact, but you need to know it as you know a person. You must study his words, his actions, his motives. And what will happen is that as you come to know him, this knowledge will start to affect your relationship with him. Right? This, is how, this is how you get to know a person, right? Maybe through dating, maybe through conversations, right? You get to know a person, and the better you know a person, the more you can relate to them and understand them and, and know how they're going to respond in a particular situation. That's how knowledge works. I'm... To be quite frank, I am terribly disturbed by the lack of serious study of God. The lack of serious study of God. You have to start giving serious time and mental effort to learning of God. Which means that we have to immerse ourselves in the Bible. The primary way for you and I to know about God is a book. So if you don't like to read... You don't get to know about God, right? The way to know God is through his word. We know about him through words, which means we become, we got to become people who read. Got to learn to read. We have to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. And if you don't understand, guys, there's so much in the Bible I don't understand. I don't know if that's news to you. All the time, I'm like, what does that mean? I spent so long trying to figure out what one phrase here means. I'll get to that later, right? What does it mean? And if you don't know, what do you do? You got to get some help. You got to get some help. Spend some time. And what that means is you got to get help from people who understand the Bible better than you. And you can do that with a friend. You can do it with, uh, with a pastor or a counselor or a teacher. But one of the great ways to do that is through books. 
Can, can we just talk about reading books for, for a minute? When's the last time you read a book about God? You might read a book about some mystery at a beach somewhere, about how to cook without grain and how to make everybody miserable. Never mind. Right. You, you, you might read books about stuff you're interested in. You read blogs or you read Facebook updates or you read about the news or whatever it is. But when is the last time that you read about God? I'm talking about theology. There are some people who have never read a single book about God. Y'all, I wouldn't be in the ministry if it wasn't for books. I, I, I have learned more, from, more about God from reading books. I, I can't even begin to quantify it. God has used other men and women through books to teach me about him. We live 2,000 years removed from Christ. That means that there are people from all different, all different uh, nations around the world who have been thinking about these same verses for 2,000 years. Some of them might know more than you. It'd be good to read about it, right? That's, that's how we do it. And so often, simply, we, just, we don't take time for it because God doesn't interest us. We got time for Facebook and Cornhole and Fox News and college football. But that leaves no time for the God of the universe. But the other part of that is, I'm not just talking about information about God. I'm talking about personal knowledge of him. Of his plans for you. This text goes on to talk about the knowledge of him who called us. How well do you understand the glory of God's work for you? I have a set of works in my office. It's 22 volumes, all about the work of Christ. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to think about what God has done for us. How well do you know his plans in the past and how they've unfolded in Christ and what he's going to do in the future? How well do you understand those? Do you know the order of salvation? Which came first? Did he call you first? Or did he justify you first? Did he save you first? Did he predestine you first? Which, which came first, right? We need to know his ways and know about his relationship to us. We feel so often despair because we are failing to understand the way that he relates to us is he has called us, right? We have to know him. But we also have to have personal knowledge of God. And what, what I'm often in the Bible, knowing is not simply mental awareness. It's not like God is Father, Son, and Spirit. We're teaching our children catechism questions, which means that we ask Karis questions and she memorizes the answer. She does, most of it, she does not know what she's talking about. But she can answer about the Trinity better than maybe some people in another room, right? Right? She can give it to you. All right? But we're praying that God, we're, that we're, we're trying to give her the wood and we're praying that God would light the fire so that she would see him and know him and love him. But if she doesn't know about him, she can't really know him very well, right? So that's what we're praying. And that means we have to know that too. We need more than just, we need more than just wood, knowledge. We need fire, intimacy, a personal experience with him. Do you remember when Jesus rebuked the workers of lawlessness? What did he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. I mean, they, they knew about, they were casting out demons in his name. They knew all sorts of stuff about God. But they did not know him. And so they were separated. We're talking about fellowship. 
This means that the resources that you need from God, for godly living, they come from personal fellowship with God, with knowing God, with walking with God. You need some history, right? You need some history. You need to spend time together. Now, okay, let's just stop. Let's zoom out for a second on this, right? I mean, this makes sense. Doesn't this make sense? If the whole purpose of these resources, remember, is to provide for our godliness, doesn't it make sense that we would know what godliness even looks like? The point of this is not just so that your life would be better. The point of this is so that you would be like God. How can you be like God if you don't know what God is like, right? Godliness. So, I mean, that makes sense. So how do you know what godliness is? You study the object, God. Knowledge of God is essential to godliness, and I fear it is where many of us are retarded and stunted in our knowledge. We're retarded Christians because we don't know God. We have all sorts of problems in our life because we don't know him. We don't know him. That's why in verses 5 and 7, if you look down, I won't get to get to this tonight, but Peter, he's talking about ineffective Christians, and he's saying, if you don't want to be an ineffective Christian, you've got to add all this stuff to your faith. <laughs> right? And look what he includes there. Verse 5. Supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge. You see? Knowledge is a part of this chain. It's, a, it's how you grow. If you don't want to be ineffective, you need to know. You need knowledge. You need to know God. We see knowledge is a part of the key to all of the other qualities of godliness. So, so what that means is, part of the reason that you are not more self-controlled is because you don't know God well enough. Part of the reason that you're not patient is because you don't know God well enough. Or maybe the reason you're so flaky, when you, you're prone to quitting or giving up on commitments or relationships, is because you don't know God well enough. You see? Point number three. What was point number two? What did I say? Right? These resources are delivered through the knowledge of God. Point number three. Out of the overflow of God's goodness comes promises. Out of the overflow of God's goodness comes promises. I get this from what I think is a kind of awkward phrase in English there in verse four where he says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Peter is looking back to God's character, specifically, find these words in the text, his glory and his excellence. And so what he's saying is that God's promises, which by the way, are the whole basis of our relationship with him. You cannot relate to God without his promises, because all there would be is wrath. He's promised to do good to us and to put away his wrath, right? All of the promises, they're the basis of our relationship with him. They flow out of his goodness, his beauty, his virtue, and his excellence. Maybe an illustration will help us see why this is significant. You'll have to, bear, you'll have to work with me on this one. It's not the, not the best. But see if you can follow with me. Politicians make promises to voters to do things, right? Right? 
That's how, that's how it works. Not knocking it, well, a little bit. But politicians make promises to their constituents that they will do certain things if they are elected in office. And it's much easier if you're not in office because, I mean, what are you, you going to do? I can't do it. I've got to wait until, you know, later. But that's how, that's how campaign donations work, right? Now, look, I'm just a pastor. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not like a super political guy, but I think I understand this. I mean, have you ever wondered why businesses will donate to political campaigns? I got a phone call one time asking me to donate to a campaign. I was like, no, right? <laughs> no. But people, you know, they, they, well, the reason, the reason they do this, well, the optimist side of this is because you believe in their cause, right? But, but the more cynical side is because, especially if you got big bucks, because of the promises that are made to them, right? This is why you were not invited to fundraisers by presidential candidates, right? Because you can't help, right? It's they're, they're, the assumption is that if you give money, special treatment will flow. Maybe I'm cynical. I don't know. Feel free to correct me. But just bear with the illustration. So, I mean, this helps us understand why do politicians spend so much money on polls? Well, they want to figure out what the people want. What do they want them to say? So they can make the promises they need in order to get a vote. They may keep them. They may not. Whatever. That's not my point. The point is, is that these promises usually do not flow out of their character, but out of other motives. You see what I mean? Not all of them, sometimes. I think this is actually a part of the genius of our democracy, but we'll set all of that aside to say this is not how God works. God is not coerced. He does not have his promises flowing out of other motives. They flow out of his actual character out of the goodness and the purity and the beauty of who he is. He is wrath because he hates sin. And he is love because he has mercy and love towards people, which begins in the Trinity. That's for another day. God doesn't make promises to win votes. His promises exude and brim over out of his character. And those promises actually tell us about his character what he's like, and what his values are. The Bible is full, can I tell you? The Bible is full of the promises of God. My wife is like trying to catalog, like catalog them. She'll spend hours like finding a promise, putting it on a card, and then like reviewing it and telling her friends about it, which is awesome. But she's not even close to finding and getting to the end of it because there's so many, so many promises of God. And it's true for all of them, but I think Peter in this text is especially, especially referring to the promises related to our salvation. The promises that literally enable us to be saved, to become, as the text says, partakers in the divine glory. And there are thousands of them. These are guarantees from God. There's a lot of things I don't understand about God, but I can know his promises guarantees that he will act and think and feel in a certain way under certain circumstances and their promises you can build your life upon by faith. Here's an example. I'll use this as an example tonight. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. No promise so far. That's a command. Keep your life free from the love of money. One. Two, be content with what you have. Four, here comes the promise. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. Promises like this one help us understand why we cannot trust our feelings. Because how often have you felt forsaken by God? How often have you felt like he's left you? You need the promises to call you back. Have you ever felt forsaken by God? Tempted to maybe buy something that would make you feel better? I have. I think I'll give you an example in a minute, but I was wrong. Promises, especially gospel promises, naturally overflow out of God's character and they show us what he is like. There's a fourth point in this text. God gave us his promises to make us godly. God has given us promises to make us godly. This is the clearest clause in this whole verse. Verse 4. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So what are the promises for? What, what is their purpose? They're given so that you may become partakers of the divine nature. Okay, what does that mean? They're given so that you would become like God. They're given so that your nature would become like his nature. In other words, God has given us promises to change us, to transform us, to be like God. The CSB, a new translation on the market, translates it like this. It's your Sunday school curriculum now. This is the translation they use. He translate, they translate it like this. So that you may share in the divine nature. If you remember, if you were here on Sunday night, you can remember what we learned, that we, we saw that we have all been created in the image of God to reflect what God is like, like a mirror. We are to be participants and spectators and broadcasters of the glory of God. But sin's messed all that up, right? It's, it's marred it. So God sent Jesus to save us, and his agenda is not just to get us out of hell, that's a big part of it, but actually to transform us, to remake us in his image, the image of God. This is why in Romans eight twenty nine, after the famous all things for good verse, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. These promises are how God is going to accomplish this in your life. They're given for your godliness. They lead to your godliness. Okay, so let's just talk real practical for a second, because this might be flying over your head, all this theology talk. Let's see if we can make this real practical. Or we'll, actually, we'll do that in a second. Let's just take note for now that godliness comes through knowing God, especially through his promises. But they're described, there's a couple adjectives here, they're described as precious and very great. I mean, think about what's precious to you. They're precious. My wife is precious to me. My kids are precious to me. Right? I would do anything I could to protect them and to save them because they're precious. I value them. I spend time with them because they're precious to me. Are these promises precious to you? I mean, have you ever even read them? Could there be promises in the Bible you've never even looked at before? If you haven't read them, read it all? One of the things that annoys me is when you meet a sports fan that doesn't know anything about the team they claim to cheer for. There's a particular brand of team that this really annoys me with, right, bandwagons. But I've, you, you, meet, you meet sport fans that don't even know about the team that you cheer for. 
I've seen this from my team. I remember when Haley and I first got married. Uh, my team, I didn't go to the school. Uh, I went to a different school, but I cheered for them since I was a kid. And I remember I went to a party on a Wednesday night when at, at, at a house where all the graduates from this school went. And there was a, I pulled for North Carolina. I try not to talk about it too much. Right? I pulled for North Carolina. There's all these North Carolina graduates. And the game was, there was a game. And they didn't even have it on. And I was like, what's wrong with you people? Right? So I was, I was being a great husband. I was sitting in the car listening to it on the radio. And I like ran into the house with all the Carolina alumni. It's like, we beat them in double overtime. We beat NC State. Right? We beat them in double overtime. And they didn't, even, they didn't even care. But that's not as bad as the people who are like, oh yeah, man, I pulled for such and such. And you're like... Do you even watch? I mean, you don't watch. It, 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 you don't tell me how big of a fan you are if you don't even watch the games. And don't tell me how precious his promises are if you don't even read them. You don't even know them. If they are precious to you, you will read them hundreds of times. You will memorize them. You will meditate on them. You will build your life around them. God has given us precious and very great promises to make us godly. Which brings us to the last point, which is the most practical, and that is this. These promises provide escape. They provide escape from the misery of sinful desires. This is kind of the complicated part in this verse, but look, look there in verse 4. So that through them you may become partakers or participants in the divine nature Having escaped, that's the key phrase, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I don't know if you've noticed, but your sin produces all sorts of problems in your life. And it comes out of sinful desires in your heart. Satan didn't make you do it, right? It's not just, you're not just being attacked. Their desires are coming out of your heart. This is how you escape those sinful desires and all that misery that follows. That phrase, having escaped, threw me for a little while. I'm trying to figure out what it means. I mean, have we already escaped because of the promises? Or do they help us escape now? Or are they going to help us escape later, like when we die or something, when, when we're sanctified? But the phrase could also be translated, since you have escaped, right? Since you have escaped from the corruption that is in the world. And that helps. And here's, here's why. Here's what that means. If you are in Christ... There is a sense in which you have already escaped from the corruption of sinful desire. If you have been saved, you have been set free from slavery to sin. So you're no longer bound for corruption or decay, but for life and joy. You have been set free. So what do these promises have to do with that escape? Well, they lead us to godliness, to the partaking of the divine nature, they, with knowledge, are the way that we get these resources for godly living. So, so what Peter is saying, he's saying, since you've escaped from this corruption and all the misery that is caused by your sinful desire, since you've escaped all that, then live free. Don't go back to it. You've escaped from this. Why would you go back to it? Live free. Live godly. These promises that lead to godliness will keep you safe as you pass through a world of corruption. And y'all, I still got corruption lingering in my heart. So I need help. I need safety. In other words, these promises help us battle sin. 
They help us grow in godliness. We can use these promises to battle the lies of the corrupt world. So here's an example. This is from my life again. I don't know who else's life to use, so I'll just use my life. Here's an example that I dealt with recently in my, it sounds silly because it's from my real life. Recently, I was feeling a little bit empty and alone, right? Not dramatic. I'm talking like small, you know, like the, just like your life. Don't judge me, right? Just like your life, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's feeling a little empty and feeling a little bit alone. And I was thinking, you know what would make me feel better right now? Subscribing to this magazine that I've been looking at for like eight months. It's $19, right? And it was Christianity Today, see? I was feeling a little empty, a little, a little, little lonely. I wanted to, so I was like, okay, if I buy this, it'll make me feel better. I'm satisfying a desire I've had. It's like I, I read a Dove chocolate wrapper that told me I was worth it, right? <laughs> so I wanted to add a little something to my life, and, but it was a sinful desire. I was, it was sinful desire because I had this corrupt working in my heart going on. You see, I, I, I wanted... The Bible says, keep your life free from the love of money because God will never leave me or forsake me. I had the promise he wasn't going to leave me. I need a magazine, you see? The promise enables me to partake in the divine nature. Enabled by the Spirit, the promise springs to life in my heart and instead of me taking part in corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire, I was able to take part in the nature of God. They help us fight sin. Of course, you can't do this unless you know God and believe his word. So can we just conclude with the most fundamental question? Do you know God? I mean, have you experienced power like this in your life? Not all the time, but have you seen this working in your life? Without him, not only can you not escape from the corruption that's in the world, like death and relational dysfunction and hopelessness, but you can't know God. And God is the source of all joy. So if I could just close tonight by calling, calling you, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, run to Jesus. Your sin has separated you from God, and that is the source of all the misery in your life. But in Jesus, you can be reconciled to God. So turn from your sins, run to him, and be saved. If you're already a believer, you've heard it before, do the same thing. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. Believe, repent, repeat. And a whole world of joy will open up to you. Let's pray. Father, we've heard of glorious truths. Now make them alive in our hearts by your Spirit. Give us faith to fight sin with the promises of God. We thank you that our security is not in how well we fight, but in the fact that Jesus has fought for us and won. We give him praise. We ask this in your name. Amen.